Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. We're reading a few verses from Exodus 25 from verse 17 through 22. Uh, These are slightly sort of obscure verses that sort of come out at us this morning. They'll be explained in a moment um, in their relationship to the next reading in Hebrews and our sermon. But uh, this is some instructions about the sanctuary, the tabernacle, and in particular about the ark, which was this elaborate box that sat in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or in the temple. And within the Ark of the Covenant, there was the um, some manna uh, from the days when God's people wandered in the wilderness. There was Aaron's staff, which had budded, um, an indication of the installation of the priesthood in God's people. And also uh, a copy of the Ten Commandments, uh, which is a bit like the contents pages of the law of God. Uh, in the box. And on the top of the box was this thing called a mercy seat, a couple of cherubim guarding this thing, and that's where blood would be splashed um, as a sacrifice or a sign of God's, a sacrifice had been made for the sins of God's people. So it just gives you a bit of, hopefully a bit of background. Um, And if you're really that keen to know what the Holy of Holies look like, there's some pictures on the back wall of the Lego version. Um, So check that out as you go. But Exodus 25, verse 17 through 22. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark, the testimony. I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people, for the people of Israel. If you want to flick forward in your Bibles uh, into the New Testament and come with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, fairly deep into the New Testament. And we're reading Hebrews chapter 9 verse 23 through to chapter 10 verse 18. Beginning at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not only into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to do with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Have you prepared for me? In burnt offerings and sin offerings you take no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Phil. Um, I'm also one of the elders uh, here at City Light North Adelaide, and it's, it is really great to have everyone here um, this morning. Um, I'm excited today. It's my daughter Janelle's 21st birthday. Um, I have no idea how that could be possible, because I'm only 30. Um, <laughs> It's been a, it's a few times this morning I've been asked, how's your week been? And my, my answer has been something like insane, frantic, crazy, stupid, ridiculous. Hasn't, been a, hasn't really been a great week. Um, in fact, it's been a crazy few weeks for me. Uh, we had the, the party last weekend. That was fantastic. Um, Ross, I uh, teared up a bit in front of a whole heap of people, so it's pretty standard <laughs> for me anyway. Um, Friday was the end of the financial year. Now, before anyone says, are you an accountant? No. I will not be accused of being an accountant. Um, so happy new year, everybody. Friday was, the, uh, was, was June 30th, which is also Alison's birthday. Um, end of the financial year, so happy new year. Um, someone came up to me this morning, Robert came up to me this morning and said, happy new year. And uh, 
Robert, the response I just got from everybody there was exactly the same. <laughs> I reckon I work more and I work harder at that time of the year, in the lead up to June 30, than at any other time of the year. It's just, it's crazy for me. Um, your crazy rush for the year is probably Christmas, yeah, in the lead up to Christmas. Everyone wants everything done at Christmas and you've got to have everything perfect at Christmas. Uh, for me, it's 30th of June. Everyone wants everything done by the 30th of June. And I'm flat out. And then we've got birthdays. So surprisingly, every year it's my wife's birthday and every year it's Janelle's birthday. Um, June 30, July 1st. Um, we've got birthdays, my business and just life and it's just, it's just crazy. And life is, ah! And then July 1st, yesterday, was... So I'm in relax mode. I get to preach and I'm in relax mode. I'm going to go home, I'm going to set up the hammock, I'm going to chill, and I reckon I'm going to be in REM sleep in about 20 seconds. Um, there's nothing like knowing that your work's done, yeah? Um, studying for an exam, getting ready for some big project at work or finishing something, hitting a deadline, nothing better than getting to the end, um, knowing your work's done, it's all taken care of, your brain's clear of all the stuff, and you just relax. Can anyone relate to that? Yeah, it's great. Well, we've been working our way through, that's actually relevant, hopefully, to something I'm about to say. We've been working our way through God's word to the Hebrews. I think this is week nine. Are we up to week nine? Where's Jacko? Jacko's bailed, he heard I was preaching. I think it's week nine. There are some terrific things in the section we're looking at today. Um, so it's chapter nine, verses 23, to chapter 10, verse, verse 18. So if you've got a Bible or you've got your, your, uh, your device out, Keep it open. I'm hoping, I'm hoping by the end of this message, we'll all be able to go. Jesus, thank you. That's my aim. If there's a takeaway from today, it's Jesus, thank you. So I'm trusting that God's word this morning will help us to see that in Jesus. Everything's done. We're safe and we're free and we're loved and we're complete and we're at home with our great God who loves us. I'm also hoping there'll be a few moments during the service where we go, ah. You hear those ah moments. Um, you know, where some truth of God's word drops into our hearts, maybe for the first time, and we get it. We had those moments, we go, ah. I'm hoping there'll be a few of those, or maybe one, or hopefully, um, that'll, that'll come in today. So let's have a look at God's word. Let's hear what he wants us to see, and let's hear what he wants us to hear. Because otherwise I'm just standing here raving on, and I don't want to waste your time. So let's hear what God has to say to us this morning. Last week, uh, Jacko took us to the tabernacle, with his amazing Lego model. Now repeat after me, Lego. Not Lego, Lego. If you weren't here last week, that just made no sense at all. So sorry about that. Feel free to ask me afterwards. It's definitely pronounced Lego. The whole rest of the world is wrong. He told us, Jacko told us through his Lego model um, about the different sections of the tabernacle. There was, if you remember, there was the courtyard, there was the holy place, 
the big curtain, and then there was the most holy place. We looked at the golden altar of incense. We looked at the Ark of the Covenant, the manna, Aaron's staff, and the tablets of the covenant. And we looked at the priest going in daily to offer sacrifices. If you weren't here last week, grab the message. It was a, it was a great message last week. So go, jump on uh, Spotify and have a look at it. And we talked about how once a year the high priest would go in behind this big curtain to the most holy place and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And Jacko talked from the scripture about how all of this, all of these things were really just a signpost. It's, it's all a shadow. All of it's designed to point to a much greater reality. It's all meant to point to Jesus, our great high priest, who fulfills all that the tabernacle pointed to. So let's pick up from uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Thus, it was necessary for the copies, so the, the earthly stuff, were the, they were the copies, the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So the, the writer, the, the pastor that wrote this, or that preached it actually, and then someone else wrote it down, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, reminds us again that the whole system of Jewish worship, the rituals, the rites, the sacrifices, the washings, all were pointing to a much greater reality. God himself, dwelling in not a copy, but heaven itself. The most, the true, most holy place is where God is, in heaven itself. But these symbols and these structures that were set up were there to show us that we can't get there. It's a veil, a massive curtain. We can't get there. We can't get into God's presence. We can't get into heaven. We can't get into the most holy place. We're blocked. Our sin and our rebellion and our angst towards God has excluded us from God's presence. We have put up a veil, we have put up a curtain that stops us from getting into God's presence. But Jesus, who became one of us, which always amazes me, God himself became one of us. He took on our human flesh. He has gone behind the veil and to the other side. On our behalf. Verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear 
in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, that's Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There's lots of stuff in there. This is a really, this is a really deep heavy section, and I reckon it's about a five-hour sermon. I'm, I'm going to keep it to probably two hours this morning, but feel free, when you get home, read it through, read it through a few times. It's really great. The more times you read it, the more you'll get out of it. I'm really going to just skim across the whole thing. I'd like to spend a few minutes looking at this thing, the most holy place, the bit behind the curtain. There was only one person, the high priest, one person was allowed behind that curtain. So on earth, you've got the courtyard, you've got the holy place, and you've got the most holy place blocked off by a curtain. One guy, once a year, was allowed to go in behind the curtain. The high priest. When he got there, he took the blood of a sacrificed animal and sprinkled it onto the covering over the ark that we read about in, in Exodus a minute ago. Onto the lid of the ark called the mercy seat. So let's go back to that scripture Jacko read earlier from Exodus 25 about the mercy seat. Can we get that up on the... Thanks. So this is way back in the, in the Old Covenant, way back at the time of Moses. God said to Moses, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. So they'd made the ark and they'd covered that in gold and then he goes into this great depth about this thing called the mercy seat. What is a mercy seat? You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Not wood covered in gold, pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. Not quite sure exactly how much a cubit is. I think the whole thing was about 50 centimetres. And you shall make two cherubim, angels of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. Verse 21. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony or the, the tablets of law that I shall give you. That make sense? Reasonably clear what's going on there. So this lid, making a big deal about a lid, what's a lid? This lid, the mercy seat, made of pure gold, had these cherubim, these angels, at each end. I had to laugh, I reckon it was Thursday. This came up on my Facebook feed. <laughs> Kid you not, it was this week. Now I don't know if that's the Lord or if it's Google's algorithm or both. Um, it's just fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Um, this same place, uh, Timu, they sell phones and laptop chargers and line trimmers and blackhead removers and toenail clippers and Arks of the Covenant. A genuine Ark of the Covenant. Well, probably not genuine. Only $14.99, it was actually, it's almost half price. Um, with free shipping, you can get your own Ark of the Covenant, fantastic. 
So have a look. See that bit where the, those angels are with their wings going over like that? That bit they're standing on? That's what we're talking about. That's the mercy seat. I just thought that was great. And get toenail clippers and that. Those guys with the wings, they're the cherubim, they're the angels. Can anyone tell me the first time cherubim appear in the Bible? Did anyone have a go at that? Pretty early. Yes, Genesis 3. Well done, Robert. It was Adam and Eve. Genesis 3 is the story of Adam and Eve who'd, who'd lived perfectly in harmony with God. No sin in their life. They were living in a great relationship with their father. But they, they blew it. They rebelled against him. They sinned. God told them to do this, and they did the opposite. They rebelled against him. And it says that God drove them out of the garden. He gave them opportunity to, to turn. He, gave them, he came looking for them. He said, where are you? Wanting them to turn back to him. And they went and hid. They weren't repentant. They weren't sorry for rebelling against their king. So God drove them out of the garden. And it says he placed cherubim, those guys, much bigger versions of those guys, he placed cherubim at the entrance to the garden. He drove them out and then he put these guys at the entrance with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life, to guard the way to God's presence. God used to meet with his children in the garden, remember? He, used to say, he said that God would come down in the cool of the evening to walk with them. He'd meet with his children until their sin separated, separated them from his presence. And now the way to God was blocked by sin and was guarded by these cherubim. So let's go back to this ark and the mercy seat. Next slide. Verse 19. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. So inside was the, with the Ten Commandments, on top was the lid, this mercy seat, with angels over the top. And it says in verse 22, There I will meet with you. Wow. There God is going to meet with you, with, with his people. There. But it's interesting it's blocked by this cherubim. He used to meet with his children in the garden, but with sin in the way, the meeting place was blocked and guarded by angels, these mighty cherubim. This meeting place of God, there he will meet us in the, on the, at the lid, the mercy seat between the cherubim. It was hidden behind the curtain. And as we've said before, only one man and only once a year and only with a blood sacrifice. Our sin had broken this fellowship. Sin had separated Adam and Eve from their God and sin separates us. And we've got no way. There's no way back into the presence of God. But 
I love the but. There's always a but when it comes to God. There's lots of buts. But God. Let me take you to John. If you've got your bowls, turn to John. Chapter 20. I'm hoping this, this might be one of those ah moments. So this is on the third day after Jesus had been crucified. He'd been buried. He died. He'd been buried. It's the third day. It says in verse 11 of chapter 20, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. It's the ark. It's the mercy seat. In real life, in actual living, real life, full colour life, the mercy seat has actually happened. This is where the atonement for sin was made. In real life, the body of Jesus had been laying down on this stone between the cherubim. The great high priest, it said in, uh, in Hebrews, enters into the most holy place on our behalf. And the great high priest, the human high priest going into the tabernacle, going in behind the curtain, and he's standing in front of the ark and the, with the mercy seat with the angels. And he says something like, Holy God, those people, the other side of the curtain, are your people, the sinners. Their sin has separated them from you and they deserve death. Lord, I'm going to offer you this sacrifice. I'm going to pour this blood onto the mercy seat. Lord, accept this as a substitute for them. When Jesus does this amazing thing, he becomes one of us. He lays his life down for us. He allows himself to be crucified as an offering for us. He allows his blood to be poured out in sacrifice for us. And he pours himself out onto the mercy seat where the great high priest used to go behind the curtain and do it for, for himself and for other people, Jesus went and laid down his own life and he laid his own blood onto the mercy seat. And he prayed something like, Holy God, these are your people. They're sinners. Their sin has separated them from you. They deserve death. Lord, accept this substitute 
accept me as their substitute. Accept my death in their place. They trust in me and they trust in you. Lay their sin on me and let me wash it away. Let me deal with their sin. Let me take it away. Let me stand in their place. Let me be the sacrifice for them. And God said, yes. It was their plan. It was God's plan from before the foundation of the world. This wasn't a last minute thing. This wasn't Jesus grudgingly doing something. It was the plan right from the beginning. God's plan from before the foundation of the world for the eternal Son of God to take the place of his sinful people. So it's no longer a high priest taking the blood of bulls and goats. It's God himself taking on a human nature and laying down his own life as a substitute. It's God's plan from before the foundation of the world so that they, so that we could have our sin dealt with so that we can come back into the presence of God. So that we can meet with God again, just like in the garden. The place of meeting, remember in Exodus 25 it said, at the mercy seat I will meet with you, but you have to take the blood of bulls and goats. Here Jesus is the mercy seat. He is the meeting place. There I will meet with you. I will meet with you in Jesus. How great is that? I just think that is just so great. Back to Hebrews. Verse 27. I promise the rest of the... it's It's a long passage. It's not going to take that long to get through the rest of it. Hebrews verse 27. Can we get that up there somewhere? Keep going there. Now go back. Now I completely lost you. It doesn't matter. Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for, for man to die once, after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Oh, there you go. Interesting passage. That bit about uh, it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Um, I've, used, I've heard that used in lots of contexts. It's often used when people talk about do you get a second chance after you die? If you die, is that it? Do you get any more chances? I've heard it used when people are talking to Hindus or people that believe in reincarnation and those kinds of things. Um, where you die and then you're reborn and then you're reborn and then you're reborn. And this passage is, is often used to show, no, it's appointed for man to die once. How many times does man get to die? Once. And after that comes judgment. I think that, you know, you can, you, that, that's what, that passage does say that. It does wipe out the possibility of, of reincarnation and second chances and all that kind of stuff. But in the context... And I think it's really good that we look at what the context of it is. That's not really the main point. The main point 
is that Jesus was human. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Jesus was fully human. It was appointed for him to die once and face judgment. So in his perfect sinless life, he was judged and he's found not guilty. The only human being to ever be found not guilty. Jesus, free to go. But this man chose to stand in our place. He chose to bear our sin. So he stood before God, before the judgment seat, after his death, a completely innocent, completely innocent man, free to go. But he stood there bearing our sin. And God looked upon his son bearing our sin and the just judgment for our sin was guilty and the judgment was brought down upon him. The penalty, the punishment that we deserved was brought down on him. Pointed for man to die once and then judgment. All of us that have come to Jesus, all of us have been judged in Jesus. All of your sin, Jesse, all of your sin on Jesus. Pete, all of your sin on Jesus. Robert, all of your sin on Jesus. Mark, all of your sin on Jesus. Whoever else is looking at me right now, all of your sin on Jesus and God poured out his wrath for your sin and for my sin on this innocent man who gave himself for us. Isaiah 53, can we get that up? The one that says Isaiah 53. We know this passage. It's talking about Jesus. This is 700 years before Jesus came to earth. It's a prophecy. Verse 5, it says, He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. Nails, spear for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the substitute, the iniquity of us all. Isn't that great news? We've been judged. And sin and the guilt for everything has been taken by a perfect sacrifice. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Maybe. Next slide. No, it's okay. We'll come back to it. We'll get there. It says, so this is Hebrews 9, verse 28. It says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he was bruised, he was crushed for our sin, bore the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 
So my question is, are we eagerly waiting for him? I was thinking about that as I was, as I was reading the passage. And you know what? The more I read this stuff, the more it makes me eagerly await him. I get so excited when I, I read this stuff. I'm looking forward to meeting the guy that was prepared to stand before God, completely innocent and free to go, and was prepared to take my sin upon him and, and, and go through all of what he went through, the punishment and the, the wrath of God on my behalf. I am so looking forward to meeting this guy. So I hope you're all eagerly waiting for him. Now we move into chapter 10. And the pastor again says, you know what? Because of all this, because of everything that we've been talked about, why would you go back to that other system? Why would you want to go back to a system where there's this courtyard where some people can go, there's a holy place where the priests can go, then there's a big curtain and behind there there's the most holy place where only the priest can go, the high priest can go, and he can only go there once a year, and he has to actually take an offering for sin, and it actually doesn't do anything. It actually doesn't wash away the sin. Why would you go back to this shadow? It's worse than Jacko's Lego model. It's, it's more useless than Jacko's Lego model. It had a point at the time. The whole point was to point to the real thing. The whole point was to point to Jesus. Why would you go back? Why go back to the shadow? Chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of those realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those that draw near. How could it? How could it possibly? The sacrifices and rituals of the old way can't do what Jesus did. They can't cleanse you. They can't deal with your sin. They take, can't take away your consciousness of the guilt of your sin. Verse 2. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? If, if the Old Testament sacrifices could deal with people's sin, why would they continue to being offered? If it's actually dealt with your sin, why do you need to keep doing it? It doesn't make sense. Otherwise, would they have not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been, once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And it makes sense when you really think about it. I don't know if any Jews actually thought that slaying this bull was actually going to wash away their sins. I don't think they actually thought that. Because they knew that they were sinners. They're the ones that deserve to die. Well, that bull hasn't done anything. And it's a bull. It's not even a human. How could it possibly take away sins? The blood of bulls and goats can't actually take away sins. But Jesus can. And Jesus has. And there's no more guilt. So all those people that I talked about before, I'm going to pick on some other ones now. One, no more guilt. No more guilt. No more guilt. Brody. You're starting your job on Monday. It's no more guilt. <laughs> Chloe, no more guilt. It's no more guilt. There's no more guilt. No more judgment. The blood of Jesus actually and forever takes away our sins. 
Verse 5 of chapter 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. The eternal son, before he, became, before he came to earth, he stood before the father, ready to take on a body and ready to take on our humanity to become one of us. Do you know what always amazes me? One thing that always gets me about Christmas, we actually should celebrate Christmas at Easter because Easter is roughly nine months before Christmas. And Jesus actually became, the Son of God became human nine months before he was born. Just like all of us. His humanity didn't start at Christmas. His humanity started closer to Easter. Um, He took on the full range of human experience, which is just amazing. Has anyone seen a tiny human embryo? Fully human. We saw one. We saw my daughter. She was 14 days old from conception. Tiny, tiny, tiny in a microscope, under a microscope. It was amazing. Little heart beating, 112 beats a minute at 14 days. It was amazing. God, the Son, stood before his Father, and his Father gave him a body. It started like that and grew. Full range of human experience. So he stood before the Father, ready to take on a body, to take on our humanity, to take on our humanity, to become one of us so that he could lay it down as a perfect sin offering. Verse 6. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, so this is Jesus, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the Lego. He does away with the old in order to establish the second. The law, the sacrifices, the rituals were all there to point us to the reality. And now that the reality has come, he does away with the shadow. Now, has anyone here been to Jerusalem? Hands up, anyone? Was there a fully formed temple or tabernacle there that you could visit? There's no tabernacle. It's gone. Done away. Not that long after this, the temple was destroyed. There's no more tabernacle. No more ark. No more any of that stuff. Because the original has... The, 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 the better... And the the true and the eternal has come. So God allowed the old one to be destroyed. He does away with the shadow. When the light gets switched on, the shadows disappear. Verse 10. And by that will, so Jesus' will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Once for all. Once for all, we've been sanctified. 
We've been set apart. The word sanctified means set apart. We've been set apart. We've been washed clean. Verse 11, And every priest stands daily at the service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool, a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, get this, he has perfected forever, for all time, those who are being sanctified. He offered his once for all sacrifice. And he sat down. The only seat in the most holy place, so remember you've got the courtyard and then the holy place and then the most holy place behind the curtain, the only place, the only seat in the most holy place was what? The mercy seat. And it wasn't a seat for the high priest. It was a seat for the sacrifice. He didn't get to sit because his work was never finished. He didn't get to sit down and relax. He had to get up and he had to get out and he had to start all over again. He had to offer sacrifices over and 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 over again and he never got to sit down. But our great high priest, who comes as the great high priest with the perfect sacrifice of himself, lays it on the altar and he sits down. Why? Because it's all done. He doesn't have to go back again. He doesn't have to keep on doing it over and over again because it was perfect. It was done. It was... And now he's waiting. His single sacrifice has perfected all those who trust in him. Kim, you've been perfected. Ross, you've been perfect, perfected. You've been perfected. And now we're just living out the, the daily reality of our perfection. That's what's happening now. We're just living it out. Everyone in this room, if, you're a tr- if you've trusted in Jesus, if you've laid your life on him and, and asked him to forgive you for your sins and you've repented and you've turned to him and asked him to forgive you and accepted his sacrifice on your behalf, you are perfect in his eyes. And now we're just living it out. In his eyes, in his eyes we're dearly loved children. Perfect in his eyes. Now, parents have rose-coloured glasses when it comes to their kids. Is that true? That is absolutely true. Well, it's true for me. I've got five of them, and they are all absolutely perfect. Um, Did I say that with with a straight face? Um, We are his dearly loved children. We're perfect in his eyes. But we're still daily learning what it means to be his perfect, holy and righteous children, aren't we? We're still learning. We're already sanctified. We're already set apart in reality. But we're being sanctified and we're being set apart and we're becoming holy in our daily lives. We're becoming more like him as we spend time and live in his presence. More and more becoming more like him as we're eagerly waiting for him, for that day for him to come back and get us. So we are sanctified, we are perfect, we are pure in his sight and he loves us dearly. And he looks at us and he looks at us with the same love in his eyes that he looks at his son. The same love in his eyes. He looks at you. 
and he wants you to grow up, to become more like him, become more like what you should be as part of his family. But when you don't, he loves you. And he looks at you with the same love that he has for his son. So when you sin and you do something terrible in his eyes, he looks at you with love in his eyes. And he wants you to become more like his son. But he loves you. And he'll never cast you away. Because you're his son or his daughter. It's wonderful stuff. Those that refuse to come, those that refuse to bow the knee, those that refuse to accept this amazing sacrifice. Those that choose to stay in rebellion, those that choose to remain his enemies, well, one day they will bow and they will bend their knee to the Saviour and they will be crushed under the weight of their own sin instead of having the Saviour crush it for them. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. I hope that this morning the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to you. He's he's stirring up your heart. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Can anyone tell me what the things that were inside the ark Jack, I talked about it. I've mentioned one of them this morning. Ten Commandments. That's the one I was looking for. Aaron's rod. And the manna, the provision of God. One I want to focus on here was one of the things inside that ark, underneath that lid, that mercy seat, were the tablets of the law, the commandments of God. Here it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will take the the laws out of the ark and I'll write them on your hearts. I'll put my laws on your heart, I'll write them on your mind. The law is no longer there to condemn us. The law in the ark was there to remind people, you've broken this. The law is no longer there to condemn us. The mercy seat of Jesus frees us from the condemnation of the law. The law, what God requires of his people, It's a good law. Nothing wrong with the commandments. They're good commandments. But what those commandments are supposed to do is to make us more like Jesus, to make us more like God. The law is what God requires of his people. It's now written on our hearts and written in our minds. So we're no longer trying to and striving to keep a strict code of conduct, rather, the, rather living by the Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling in us and sanctifying us, drawing us into a deeper desire to keep his true law, it's no longer us trying to keep these commandments over here, it's him placing the law inside our hearts and encouraging us to follow him and to become more like him. And can anyone tell me what the law is? Can anyone sum it up in a couple of sentences? Is it thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not? Does it, can anyone tell me... What Jesus said the law is? Mark, you know. Yeah. To love the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. That's the first commandment. And Jesus said the second's like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. That's what's written on our hearts. 
to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and to love our neighbour as ourselves. It's no longer an external trying to outwardly obey laws and requirements, but an inward desire to please him and to love what he loves. Christianity is so simple. He writes it on our hearts, and we just get on with living out what he's already done in us. Verse 17. And then he adds, because if that's just not enough, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's God's will. You want to know what God's will is? This is God's will. To not remember our sins. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. All of our sins are not remembered by God. It's not that God forgets. God can't forget. He actively chooses to not remember. He actively decides, I'm not going to remember Chloe's sin. I'm not going to remember. There's not going to be any bringing it back up again. There's not going to be any judgment. There's not going to be any, remember when you did this, Jim? Remember when you did that? No. The Lord just doesn't do that. We do that all the time to each other. The Lord doesn't do that at all. All the Lord does is says, Jim, sin? What are you talking about? That was dealt with in Jesus. It's fantastic. Psalm 103. And this is where we're going to finish. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Can anyone tell me how far east is from west? Give, me, give, it, give it a go. 100 miles, a couple hundred miles, a couple of thousand miles. If you start here and you start going, hang which way is east? That way? So this way, <laughs> start going east. And you keep on going. And you keep on going east, and you keep on going east, and you keep on going east, where do you end up? Here. And you keep on going east, and you keep on going east, and you keep on going east, and where do you end up? Here again. You never get to west. That's how far God has put away our sins. Now, I'm really glad he did it that way, because if he did it the other way, and if he said as far as the north is from the south, you start going north, what happens when you get to the top? You start going south. So you can actually hit south, because you can't, east never meets west. And that's what God is trying to say, is, is saying. You can never get there. That's how far away Jim's sin is. That's how far away Pete's sin is. That's how far away all of our sins are. It's gone. So far, our God has removed our sins. He remembers it no more. So what's the takeaway from this morning? Jesus has given his all. Jesus has done everything. On your behalf. We are safe. We are free. We are loved. We are complete. We're at home with our great God and we're walking in the garden with our God who loves us so dearly. And all I can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.